0: This episode is a conversation with Jean Casey, global head of prop tech and innovation at Duveen. We dove deep into Jean's set as an expert in digital transformation, venture capital, and prop tech. We talked about what prop tech actually is. She gives the clearest definition I've ever heard, where smart buildings fits into that, how real estate organizations can innovate from the inside, which technologies Duveen is prioritizing right now, and much, much more. Hello, Jean. Welcome to the Nexus podcast. Can you introduce yourself, please?
1: Hey, James. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm Jean Casey. I'm the global head of prop tech and innovation at Nuveen Real Estate.
0: Cool. You're the second Nuveen guest we've had after Jacinda Laughlin. I'm excited to explore what you guys are up to. So can you start pre Nuveen though? What were you up to in your career background wise and then what led you to get into uh, smart buildings?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've always been really interested in, as we can call it digital transformation is kind of the buzzword, but really how legacy industries are using new technologies. So sometimes That means being disrupted by technology. Uh, Sometimes that means working with technology or using technology really for the first time in a meaningful way. I've always just found that really, really fascinating. Um, So I went to school, studied business and economics um, and then started my career at Morgan Stanley doing on book venture capital investing in the early days of FinTech a little over a decade ago and thought that that was really interesting to be inside of the bank, leverage the resources of the actual end users or potential you know, folks being disrupted by new technologies mm-hmm. um, or looking to partner or use them in a new way. Uh, having those conversations firsthand was really, really interesting. And so that's kind of where I started, really fell in love with investing, learned about venture capital, learned about corporate venture capital, learned about the baggage that sometimes comes with corporate venture capital. Um, So went to business school and then out of business school uh, joined a founding team. I was on the founding team of a fund that spun out of Cisco. So I was at Cisco for a few years building the playbook, building the the investment theses, um, executing the first few deals of a fund that invested in growth stage digital infrastructure companies and business okay. models. So that was next generation network technology, smart city technologies, internet of things. So areas that were really strategic and kind of cutting edge for Cisco.
0: Okay.
1: Um, we, a couple years later, spun out of Cisco, raised a $300 million first time fund and became a firm called Digital Alpha, um, who's still around today investing in a very large fund too. Um, Cisco was our anchor LP, but we were totally separate. So I was part of building you know, a very different kind of playbook for how an investment firm that was strategic to an incumbent, but separate from it could work. And I thought that worked really, really well and really mm-hmm. interestingly. Um, there was a team on the inside of Cisco that helped kind of plug in Digital Alpha's uh, portfolio companies to the right places within Cisco, whether that was engineering or sales to well, the business acceleration team. So to help grow those companies in a really you know, dynamic and accelerated way. Um, I totally fell in love with smart city concepts um, okay. and internet of thing concepts. And that's how I found PropTech and happened to meet uh, the Metaprop team in New York uh, back in I think early 2019 or so. Um, I had been remote at Digital Alpha for almost five years, and ironically was super excited to join MetaProp just about six months before the world shut down. Oh man! Um, and have a team that I could actually go into the office, you know, be in person with in my hometown of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, jokes on me—I'm, you know, a professional remote worker, I guess. <laughs> um, but at least was used to working, or used to, you know, having to work like that. Um, Anyway, totally, totally loved the Metaprop team um, and really dove into PropTech for the first time then. Um, Also was doing early stage venture capital for the first time. So uh, at Digital Alpha, I was more focused on growth and kind of like pre-IPO stage companies. And I was actually not expecting how different the pace of early stage investing is. Um, And I think that's almost compounded by the fact that PropTech was really on its ascent and this nascent, fast growing, really dynamic new sector of venture. Um, so that was a super interesting time to join. At the time, Prop had like a fraction of the AUM they do today. They're now managing you know, multiple strategies and doing late stage investing as well, but I was mostly focused on early stage at the time and then helping them launch a later stage fund. Um, and then about a year ago, I met the folks at Nuveen who were looking for someone from the prop tech venture world to come inside and kind of formalize what they were doing with PropTech and around PropTech. And I saw this incredible white space um, and massive opportunity that such a large platform like Nuveen could have. And I'll, I'll get into some of like how large Nuveen and our parent company TIA is in a second. Um, but got the opportunity to really lead our prop tech strategy. So from both a, a user and how we're doing innovation initiatives, um, but also investing behind these companies. And we're we're launching that capability uh, soon. So stay tuned. Um, yeah, I'll pause there. If uh, there's anything you want me to kind of double click on,
0: yeah. I'm curious, so first, maybe before I ask this question, can you talk about what Nuveen is and give a little bit of a refresher, like you were saying on how big it is and kind of what sort of assets Nuveen holds and that that sort of thing?
1: Absolutely. So Nuveen is a, I think 1.3 trillion with a T dollar asset manager. We are wholly owned, so you know we're tiny. Um, We are wholly owned by TIAA, that's our parent company, and are their asset management arm. So we, that trillion plus is across many different asset classes. Um, We have a very large alternatives business, and that is where Nuveen Real Estate sits. It sits within our, what's called our real assets um, platform. And so that is a... 170, 180 million, or billion, sorry, with a B, dollar platform across all of real assets. So not just real estate, though that's a large chunk of it, but we're also large owners and investors in farmland, timberland, clean energy, commodities, infrastructure, agribusiness. So there's a lot of really interesting things um, to potentially harness. And from a technology and data perspective across all of these things, and sustainability perspective across all of these things in the future. Um, But today I sit within Nuveen Real Estate, which is about 150 billion AUM. Um, We are investors across the four traditional sectors of real estate. So office, industrial, multifamily, retail, and we have a large and growing alternatives business as well. So alternatives think like single family rentals, self-storage, you know things that don't neatly fit into one of those first four. Uh, we're about six hundred people across thirty cities globally. So lean team for all that AUM, um, but a, a large and growing international presence as well. Um, yeah, I think that that kind of covers the the headline numbers.
0: Yeah, and how many buildings are we talking about? And and do you guys own and operate, or is it just own?
1: That is a great question. You're really Test in my uh, knowledge. Outside
0: of, of it. it, yeah.
1: I, I'm better at AUM. I want to say each of our sectors has a few hundred buildings, but I don't want to be an order of magnitude. We won't
0: fact check to you, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be an order of magnitude off, but I, I that feels right. Um, I'd say we have probably a couple. You know, actually, we just got uh, survey results back and we've got about 1,200 responses from properties. So I'm okay. gonna go with ballpark there. Ballpark there.
0: It. Okay. Ballpark yeah.
1: there. I'm I'm better at AUM breakdowns. Um we are not vertically integrated. So we partner to actually operate property manage all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some in some geographies we've consolidated in certain sectors. So we have you know a, a critical mass in some geographies of who we work with. So there's little bit more alignment and a little bit more ease when we're looking to make kind of more portfolio-wide decisions in, in those areas.
0: Got it. Okay. Given that context, I'm wondering why you, from a personal career standpoint, decided to go from VC over to this, you know, building owner, asset manager, asset owner, owner side of things. And it sounds like what you're saying is you had the opportunity to start a fund within that asset owner side of things, but I'll let you
1: yeah, so that's it. that's definitely the big picture. So I, I haven't totally hung up my VC hat. i yeah. to, to take it down very soon. Um, maybe put on a bigger one. Um, but you know, the the real reason, or I think an equally if not more important reason was you know, as I was sitting on more boards and becoming more of an advisor to prop tech startup founders um who are looking for you know words of wisdom and and help and connectivity uh, into real estate firms and mm-hmm. advice on how to better partner with them, how to better sell to them, how to better speak to them. you know, very I kind of really obviously realized I never worked in yeah. real estate properly. and I think my you know ability to to give that wisdom and advice doesn't tap out. I mean, I'm constantly learning constantly talking to folks, but, I think really gives me the opportunity to move in-house somewhere, gave me um, that opportunity to really learn from the inside out instead of the outside looking in. And over the last eight or nine months I've been on board, I've learned you know, twice as much as I have in the seven or eight years I've been focused in and around the space. Um, and just, I mean, really obvious things that are obvious now and maybe weren't before, I would interchange or I would use the terms property manager and asset manager interchangeably. And now that's Mm -hmm. like inconceivable to me. And that's a really simple, you know, just kind of um, example of, you know, what is really obvious inside looking out versus an outsider trying to look in. Um, But I I don't think I would, you know, glean that kind of um, just ability to, to speak both languages, both startup and tech world, and then really credibly speak real estate as well.
0: Got it. Fascinating. So you guys are thinking about starting a fund though that you will then manage. Is that sort of what you're you're headed towards?
1: We are. we're in early stages. Don't want to say too much um, because, you know, things are kind of fluid and also pre-launch, but yes, there's interest in buy-in um, from Nuveen and our, our
0: parent company. Got it. So you kind of have a newcomer's lens a little bit. So you, you were investing in technology that, you know, was for real estate, but now you're on the other side of the, of the fence and you kind of have this like Coming at this from a fresh, you know, fresh viewpoint. What have you observed from that?
1: A good amount. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hit a couple points. Um, first is this is a really old industry. I don't yeah. think I fully appreciated. I've, I've gotten you know I've read some like actual historical stuff on real estate. I'm starting to like appreciate the industry more things have been done the same way for a really long time. And there are a lot of stakeholders. There's like a lot of layers of decision-making and opportunities for incentives to be better aligned because often they're misaligned. Um, And technology can address a lot of those things, but it's now really obvious to me where all the challenges are of educating and aligning those decisions. So the right choices are made and people the right users are involved in those choices. Yeah, I like um, to say
0: the tech's not going to solve a lot of that, right?
1: Right, exactly. And so understanding where the the like priorities are just from a business perspective has absolutely been my first and most important priority. My first six months I spent almost exclusively listening and learning and only you know, in the last couple months have been doing my like tour de neuvin of what is prop tech? how can prop tech help achieve our existing priorities and not just you know prop tech and innovation doesn't mean piloting lots of point solutions because that's what innovation is and we should be using more technology so let's use it. It's what are we trying to do as a business and how how if technology can help us with those priorities, how can it, and which are the best you know, use cases and teams and, and technologies um, to layer in there. Um, okay. So you know, age of the industry, literally and metaphorically, um, I think there's also, I mean, the counterpoint to that, I think there's a real changing of the guard. So as Gen X and millennials, uh, take on leadership positions, I'm seeing in real time uh, technology kind of float to the top of mm-hmm. agendas of executives, both internally and, you know, I, I have lots of innovation, heads of innovation peers at other firms. I think there really is a genuine changing of the guard I, that was going to happen, you know, just because time marches on and younger folks become yeah. older folks in leadership positions. Um, and I also, you know, from my time just investing in other areas of prop tech. know, I think that's also true in, you know, the GC world and family-owned real estate's really a family business. That's also a takeaway, both commercial and just in general. Um, And a lot of those family businesses, the reins are being handed over to the next generation who just grew up more technologically savvy and aren't as nervous to... Use you know incorporate technology into their everyday workflow, um, and and also take a shorter amount of time to learn new tools. Um, it's harder it. to teach old dogs new tricks, I guess. Um, so there's a changing of guard. Uh, I talked a little bit about difficulty of aligning incentives and how many incentives there are to be aligned. And then I I'll leave it with um, you know COVID has really been a massive accelerant. I think. You know having started in prop tech just before the pandemic, there was a lot of excitement and already you could see kind of a changing of the tide, um, where tech was making its way to the top of the list of priorities for executives. And then all of a sudden it went from a nice to have to a absolute must-have as our industry was just you know turned on its head a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and then sustainability is I think doing a lot of those same um, a lot of the same dynamics are at play where it was more of a nice to have like you know put it in your marketing materials and yeah you know, we'll get to these goals we'll figure out how to achieve the goals let's let's state the goals and we'll figure out how to achieve them as a an afterthought mm-hmm. um that's not flying anymore that is It is real it is being demanded not only by our lps and real estate lps but by occupiers as well corporates and residents Um, i think that's really exciting and that's um really important and gonna create a lot of opportunity and continue to kind of blur the line between sustainability tech let's call it climate Mm -hmm. tech um and smart building
0: yeah yeah so you mentioned this Tour de Naveen and how it's kind of shifting from point solutions to this sort of what I would call is like more integrating technology into the core business, right? Can you give some examples of, of what you're sort of pitching internally around like, here's how technology can impact the core business?
1: Definitely. So I think before I did that, I had to explain what prop tech was okay
0: what is prop tech that's the first question (laughs) i'm gonna give you my
1: spiel in 30 to 60 seconds of what is prop tech just so you know the context is there for what i'm just i I call it exposure therapy for my colleagues like repeating the same thing over and over until they repeat it back to me um so there's a lot going on in prop tech you could break down the universe in a lot of ways and often when i'm presenting to people the Someone will shoot up their hand and say, "Like, can you tell me what prop tech is?" We hear that word all the time, and more often than not, I say, "Don't worry, it's the next slide. Mm-hmm. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the way I I think an easy way to break it down is across two dimensions. Um, the first is it's technology that serves every sector of real estate and. That's a little bit Nuveen specific because we're organized by sectors. So we have an investment team and an asset management team for office, for retail, industrial. All they do is industrial deals. All they do is multifamily deals. And so knowing that there are some differences between the kinds of technology that's relevant to our SFR, single family rental platform, versus, you know, are going to look quite a bit different than what our industrial colleagues are maybe taking a look at. Right. So that's one way to break it down. And I think the most important way to break it down is across the life cycle of real estate asset. So I have four pillars. I have this slide that I use on my tour dating It's four pillars. There, The first one is there's tools to find and evaluate new investment opportunities or new properties. Okay. There's tools to help transact and finance those opportunities. Then there's a whole pillar that's construction tech. So there's tools to help the development and the redevelopment of those properties be more efficient, sustainable, you know, whatever uh, mm-hmm. adjective. Okay. And then the fourth pillar, and I think this is the, the main overlap with smart buildings, but tools that help manage and operate our properties. Yeah. And so that's the real meaty intersection with smart buildings. I think smart buildings is almost a you know perfect overlap there. Yeah. So that's, That is, um, you know, how I break down an understanding of everything going on. I think that's a way that real estate folks, you know, kind of language that they understand life cycle from acquisition to disposition. And then a couple of examples of things that are priorities and that we're working on uh, track across that life cycle. So, for example, uh, I'll give you a couple We are in the process of rolling out DealPath globally. So a transaction management platform that's replacing kind of a legacy SharePoint.
0: Okay. Lobbed
1: together thing we call Great Room. That's really, really exciting. Going to give much cleaner uh, workflow tools to our investment and asset management teams. Going to be a much better collector of data so we're able to access all the data that we mm-hmm. produce internally from just that massive footprint of yeah. over 1,000 buildings owned around the world. And actually, I think that 1,200 number now that I'm thinking of it is just in the US, but we'll park that point. And then we're doing a lot at the intersection of sustainability and prop tech, or that kind okay. of fourth pillar. So we just did a few month deep dive in the real time energy management space. Um, and energy information systems, and got to a better understanding of where our U.S. office portfolio is in terms of technologies that they have deployed, how they're using them. Um, Sometimes they have technology they're not even fully utilizing. And so we worked with an expert in that space to help us identify what we should be using at a minimum and then actually come up with a decision tree for our asset managers. So mm-hmm. with criteria, like what's your energy star score? Do you actually have an energy star score? How old is your building? Like if older than 30 years, then, you know, consider this path of decisions. If newer, consider this. And so that is uh, another you know, area of, of focus and something we're, we're working on today.
0: Got it. Super cool. Can you talk to me about that third pillar, though? So, for, fourth pillar, there are tons of overlap with smart buildings. The third pillar, though, is I feel like where if a if a asset owner is going to reposition an asset, upgrade it, right? It seems to be there's a lot of seems to me there's a lot of overlap there between that and the path towards decarbonization. So, if I need to get a building to um, you know net zero carbon or whatever target is selected. I'm probably gonna to have to upgrade a lot of the systems in that building. I'm probably gonna to have to switch over to electricity uh, from fossil fuels. And so I guess what I'm just wondering is, is there a, a whole subset of technologies there that could be vital for that you know, capital upgrade process?
1: Definitely, yes. Um, I would say uh, a lot of that I think does fall in the fourth pillar. Okay. I see more like construction tech um, around embodied carbon and the supply chain for doing develop new development or redevelopment. Um, We don't do development in house, so partner and have a lot of JVs. And so, kind of similar to you know our, our property operations, we're making decisions in. Uh, in tandem with our, our JV partners, and often aren't the ones you know executing, um, but we are the capital providers. So we have a you know big say in those decisions, and that is absolutely um, even though we don't do that in house, uh, third that third pillar is something that's critical to our net zero carbon goals yeah. and that that journey, um, and we are definitely exploring you know tech enabled design and build. Partners for you know areas where or properties we're looking to to densify and do kind of new development within our existing portfolio with some of these more efficient and more sustainable design and builders.
0: Got it. Okay, let's talk about the investment piece of this. There's, I mean, you're coming from the VC world. There's been a ton of venture capital flowing into. Let's focus on the fourth pillar flowing into smart buildings, right? Um, what is your overall, what do, what do you think the state of that is? Is it going to keep up like that? Is it going to slow down? Or like, where are we at from a VC and smart buildings standpoint?
1: So, I mean, I'm sure you and and most of all of your listeners are very aware. Last year, smashed all prop tech, smart building VC records on book. And that's been the case, I think over the last, three to five years, just every year, there's more funding, there's more startups and that's all really exciting. I mean, I'm a prop tech VC. That's, that's obviously a good thing on, on the whole more funding means more capital for early stage startups, not just late stage startups. We're seeing more exit activity and MA. And that interestingly means that there are more founders and entrepreneurs and early team members that have had, Nice financial events and you know liquidity events where they can now go on and found a second prop tech startup and, and endeavor. So that's that's really exciting. We've got multiple time founders now within the prop tech world. I'm a little hard pressed, if I'm being honest, to find proof that adoption is keeping up at the same pace. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but um, it's something to note and I think it's important. It's important because I think it, it might be a signal that there's about to be a lot of consolidation, a lot of roll-ups across especially some of the more you know categories that we see more point solutions, less of a like holistic platform. So I think that that you know, slower adoption curve versus new capital pouring in is due to. Both supply and demand. So, on the supply side, there is a lot more venture capital participation and like an institutionalization of venture capital as a whole asset class than there was 10 years ago. So, in the last few years, you know, we've seen way more VC funds larger than ever, you know, successful partners at the Sequoias, the Kleiner Perkins, the Andreessen Horace's of the world spinning out and raising their own funds. Those are meaningfully sized Uh, participation for more corporates. There's more corporate VCs. There's more corporates hiring VCs, launching corporate VCs. Um, Family offices are getting in on the action. There's just like way more sources of capital. And they've all realized that the real estate industry is a massive market opportunity, as they should. Um, And it's ripe for more tech adoption. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really great place to invest. And that's, you know, driven the massive supply and of venture capital dollars go into this space. Got it. But on the demand side, there is more of like a natural limit to how much new stuff real estate folks can take a look at and like consider at the same time.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: And so I'm seeing, I mean, certainly my colleagues and that's what I, do a lot of work around getting smarter on where we're gonna prioritize mm. okay. technology and and what we're gonna get smarter on and making decisions to get those technologies and figuring out the roadmaps to get them actually in our buildings um and all these like all my colleagues that are you know on these cross-functional working groups making these decisions alongside me have really busy day jobs and so often they're having to educate themselves and like almost moonlighting as prop tech people to get right. up to speed on what's out there um, and what are the right, you know, things to be to be piloting and exploring. And so I think there's just more of a natural cap um, to, to how quickly we can um, simultaneously or every real estate firm can simultaneously evaluate mm-hmm. uh, different kinds of technologies.
0: Interesting. Can you explain something you said early on there? So I'm an engineer without a business uh, school background, right? So it's, you you mentioned slow adoption leading to consolidation. And I don't know if if I necessarily understand how that, how one leads to the other there. Can you explain how that, how that works?
1: Slow adoption. Oh, did I, I don't know if I meant to imply that slow adoption was a cause behind consolidation. Okay. Um, I more meant that the conditions exist such that I expect there to be more consolidation than what we've seen previously in the market due to there's still a lot of dry powder that's interested in this space. Mm. Um, There's a lot of point solutions and I think rolling up, um, so like inorganic growth, meaning buying new customer bases instead of having to sell directly into them, is yeah. more efficient to get to scale and so i think there's going to be some venture firms or even pe firms that take a look at this space and say you know there's still not there's still more adoption to go but a more efficient way to scale a company might be a platform roll up and so combining a few of these point solutions that do a similar thing and that have similar but different customer bases into one mm-hmm. to you know kind of overnight become
0: more of a juggernaut got it got it that that piece makes sense totally hey guys just another quick note from our sponsor nexus labs and then we'll get back to the show this episode is brought to you by nexus foundations our introductory course on the smart buildings industry if you're new to the industry this course is for you if you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things this course is also for you the alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexislabs.online. All right, back to the interview. So you mentioned sort of, prior I'm using my own words for describing what you said, but you mentioned sort of prioritizing different technologies. You look out at the startup landscape, in prop tech and it's a nightmare someone called it startup swamp to me which I love that term um how do you sort of prioritize for your folks that aren't as much of an expert as you on the technology how do you sort of prioritize for Nuveen uh what they should pay attention to and what they shouldn't um so that was
1: my first six months on board, understanding what was keeping my colleagues up at night and what were the themes that kept coming up and coming up that didn't have clear solutions um, to those, not always problems, but just like existential issues, let's call Mm -hmm. it. And those two things I think across, and I tried to take a sector viewpoint because we're so sector organized And the commonality I found across all of them, um, I think could be boiled down to two things. And the first is data and the lack of access to our own data and our potential ability to make better investment decisions and operational decisions if we had access to that data. um, In a a way that we could analyze it and then even layer on, you know, intelligence and, and glean insights and, you know, make it actionable. Um, that's definitely a priority that's important to work really hand in glove. And it's really being driven by our IT team, who's, which is an awesome organization, um, really transforming our data strategy mm-hmm. from the inside out. Um, and then the second area of priority is that overlap of prop tech and sustainability. And so how are we actually going to meet our net zero carbon goals? We're in the process of you know, defining what is net zero carbon? What is a carbon neutral footprint for a building? Um, okay. What do we have to achieve by when over the next? So we've made a very public commitment: net zero, we're going to be net zero carbon across our portfolio by 2040. That's a pretty. That's not super far away. It's a pretty lofty goal, and there's definitely a recognition that technology is going to play an important part, but helping you know our teams figure out you know the the order of operations to get there. So to reduce our our carbon footprint we first got to understand what it is. Like, what is our carbon footprint? How much carbon are we emitting? What is embodied versus what is operational? Um, Also having that um, information available for new investment decisions that we're making is incredibly important and also a role of technology and data models. Um, And so that helping kind of see the forest through the trees, so to speak, and understand technology is gonna first help us measure so that we can then manage and manage down. Um, so in summary, data and sustainability, I think are absolutely top of mind.
0: Top of priorities, okay. Back to the sort of industry as a whole real quick, and then I wanna get deeper into what you just said around sort of Nuveen's priorities, but as a whole and sort of the investment into the industry as a whole, where do you think the growth areas are? And it could be those two things as well. That could be high overlaps between what's important for you guys and what the growth areas are. Um, And then what are the areas that are overhyped? I think like that dichotomy is interesting to me from your perspective.
1: I think there's definitely a big overlap. Um, I like to think of my most like my favorite or where I'm most bullish in prop tech as the picks and shovels businesses. So the kind of enabling technologies for sustainability. Um, I think there's also a, a really interesting phenomenon, whether it's bad or good could be debated, but there is an increasing amount of institutional ownership in the single family asset class. And so the iBuyers of the world, the Airbnbs and other facilitators of short and medium duration stays are certainly here to stay. Um, And that's gonna change supply and demand of housing stock and services for that housing stock in really meaningful ways. Um, And so picks and shovels for that kind of systemic, those kind of systemic changes, I think around SFR and then also around all of a sudden net zero carbon and sustainability goals are so important for both commercial and residential real estate, any institutional owner of real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of enabling businesses, I think are, are really primed for growth.
0: What do you mean by picks and shovels businesses? Can you give us some more examples of that?
1: Yeah, so um, tools that measure and eventually manage instead of betting mm. on the right, I. I wouldn't feel technologically capable of betting on the right, you know, alternative cement business, for example, um, that somehow is prop tech and, and really important and an important piece of the intersection of sustainability and I guess building materials or material technology. But instead of, you know, betting on what is the right, all, you know, uh, renewable energy source something to measure and manage and tap into those sources offsite and onsite. I think are I like those investment opportunities more than betting on the the winner.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like a platform model for procuring any type of concrete, any type of clean concrete or low carbon concrete. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I guess I just haven't heard that term before, picks and shovels. Interesting. Um, okay, then what's like
1: the, the gold rush? You know, kind of example. There's a few. There's a bit of a prop tech gold rush. I'm not necessarily gonna pick every winning horse and all the gold, but selling picks and shovels is usually a pretty good way to make money in those kind it. of environments.
0: So I see. That's
1: that's the that's the analogy. I should have said the gold rush part.
0: It makes perfect sense to me now okay thank you um okay so what about overhyped areas
1: so hopefully i don't offend too many people too many listeners here when i when i say um i haven't really seen a, a die hard winning use case for digital twins yet um and i think the the term has been around for a really long time and i i'm still unclear on you know what what the prime use case is and what's caught on and in a scalable way. Um, I think those companies still have a really large gap in terms of education and finding that like killer use case, like killer use case, kind of like a you know killer app analogy. And then I also think COVID-specific use cases and companies that leaned maybe a little bit too hard into social distancing use cases as like the prime value Hmm. prop, eliminating pathogens and just like the, you know, we were all clean freaks for a good year there, but I think that'll be important, but not the central value prop of the best um, platforms going forward.
0: So kind of flipping that on its head, thinking about the, the solutions that came into power, right? During COVID, What do you think, which ones of those do you think are here to stay?
1: Um, I think touchless things are actually here to stay. Um, So that's access control. Anything that can be done from your phone really easily I think is definitely here to stay. Weirdly, I think, I mean, a lot of people have said this, QR codes have really had a a comeback story during COVID. (laughs) I actually think those might be here to stay as it relates to real estate. Um, we're thinking about sending out our next year's tenant surveys with QR, like marketing materials with QR codes. Um, we use QR codes. We can swipe into our our headquarters now in New York with a QR code, like register visitors with QR codes. I actually think that they might be here to stay for a little bit.
0: Okay, all right.
1: Not the sexiest answer, but... <laughs>
0: Got it. So I'm wondering just about your this like role. You, you mentioned peers and in these innovation roles, right? Uh, across other different real estate industries, like what do you think are the keys to success in that role? I know you've only been doing it for less than a year at this point, but like when you look across all of your different peers, kind of what makes that role successful? Because it seems really important i mean you've taken our foundations course we think about it in terms of like we need smart building champions and that seems like a real perfect role for the champion to sort of say hey like this is the transformation we need in this organization and i'm going to be the one to sort of shepherd the organization through that change is that sort of how you think about it or or how do you think about it it
1: yes and no so yes I I see my like the the highest value I can provide is connecting smart building priorities to our over, like overarching business priorities and framing them in terms that match those two up and mm-hmm. layer in the tech to the exist like the priorities and not vice versa yeah um and I think the most effective way to do that is to make sure that there's cross-functional decision-making and collaboration before we even start exploring, you know, vendors and, and piloting stuff. So totally. like really from the conversations that are, are prioritizing, okay, what do we even, what category of pilots are we even looking to, you know, potentially run an RFP? Like the, the asset manager, and this is being specific again, not vertically integrated, but the asset manager, if it's something to do with sustainability, our sustainability team, really importantly, our IT team, myself, you know, maybe someone else, depending on, you know, what the category of technology is, but, you know, a four or five or six person cross-functional working group to go through that journey together to make sure it's not being IT led purely or our business teams or our real estate teams, let's call it go rogue, so to speak, Hmm. and go explore things that don't fit into our existing stack and are just going to go live in a silo and be a headache, you know, six to 12 plus months from now. So making sure everyone is aligned, talking, sharing um, learnings. Across our not only like our at the property level, but just you know, our sector teams, we're looking at EV charging as a a huge priority across our different sectors. There's like four or five different working groups that need to be better connected to share what they're learning as they're you know, piloting different solutions and talking to different vendors. And so, I see a huge part of my job is connecting those dots. And making sure we're like systematically sharing those learnings, which also conveniently will feed into investment theses in the future, mm-hmm. and be a real yeah. you know advantage for future diligence and um, identification of kind of top investment opportunities in addition to you know vendors and um, mm-hmm. tech we're using.
0: Got it. So you mentioned pilot projects a few times. And I'm wondering, I feel like in the sort of old world of point solutions being king, right? A pilot project is easy. You just said, hey, go implement that in a silo and have fun, right? And tell us when you're done and we'll judge the the success of that pilot project. And now when we're thinking more comprehensively, I'm wondering how you approach pilot projects given that nothing is happening in its own silo, ideally moving forward.
1: It depends on what we're talking about, like what kind of technology we're talking about. So I think there still are point or point ish solutions that do go through that traditional pilot process. Like we ran a very comprehensive RFP when we ultimately chose DealPath, um, but that was a very cross-functional work. It actually, the decision predated me, but was led by our also relatively new CTO, who is incredible, um, and made sure that there was just total buy-in across you know all parts of the organization. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's... I hate the the answer, it depends, but I think it could range from looking more traditional to being a little bit more dynamic. So an example of one that would be a little bit more dynamic are tenant facing uh, solutions. So we're looking, our residential portfolio, for example, is, is getting a little bit away from smart buildings, but I think it's important um, and, and an interesting area of Prop tech, the intersection of affordability and uh, increasing home ownership and making rent payments more flexible and fit the income profiles of folks who may struggle paying you know traditional rent at the first of the month because they have a job that doesn't necessarily line up with their cash flows like that. We are able to more dynamically pilot multiple solutions at the same time instead of just one, because these kind of things are really lightweight and like are very easy to turn on and off. And so that's actually what we're doing across, we've about $3 billion of affordable housing. And so we've chosen a few of these solutions and a few of them also in our, our market rate housing portfolio, but are piloting a few things at the same time to see, you know, at different price points, different services to see what the actual, you know, not not really ROI, but improvement in timely rent payments, but also credit scores of our tenants. So some of these companies will actually like report timely rent payments to help folks build credit. So um, mm-hmm. we're looking at you know multiple ways to measure success, not just NOI necessarily, but really a little bit more of a holistic you know impact we're having um, on our tenants' well-being financially.
0: Cool, and that would obviously lead to better financial outcomes for the company, long term. Uh, yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah. I
1: mean, both are aligned, but um, yeah, it, it's yeah cool to be able to measure both.
0: Another aspect of this role, this head of innovation role, seems like like you're you're helping these pilot projects along. You're helping tie value to financial indicators of the business. You're also, it seems like. Injecting technology into everybody's roles and, and how everyone is doing business and how the whole company sort of runs. So, what are the sort of the keys to that piece of this as well?
1: I think it all starts with education. So, I one of the initiatives I launched very early on after joining, uh, besides doing my tour de Nouveau, where the, the what is prop tech slide, like the, the universe of how to kind of break it down is sending out a monthly, so I send out a monthly roundup of five to 10 of the top prop tech headlines that I've read that month mm-hmm. that are specifically relevant to our business. And just that I think it's really important to, to get folks familiar with the lingo and the concepts so that they can become more conversant with it and naturally make connections themselves between what those concepts and lingo and like new technology, maybe new Tech-enabled business models are just the fact that they exist, and then start naturally making the connections to, oh, like that is relevant to me and what I do every day potentially in this way or that mm-hmm. way. I could maybe use that software, partner with that tech-enabled design and build firm um, for densification of you know this asset that I'm looking to densify or you know whatever the example is. And then I think it's a little bit of that exposure therapy term I threw out earlier, mm-hmm. really just repeating the same concepts. I think one tech is not someone's day job and they don't come from you know the, the tech world. It can be a little overwhelming. So I think just going back to the basics and just always assuming that's helpful to folks, even if... Half the audience has heard my spiel three or four times. I've I've gotten some feedback that that's been really helpful and kind of enables people to feel more comfortable asking those really basic questions, which I absolutely want to elicit. Um, and then doing both of those things, so you know, education and that exposure therapy in a way that's targeted and relevant to them. There's so, like that. I love the the startup swamp because I think that's like you know, act visually in cap, like in captures, you know, just how much gunk is that? I mean, I don't want, maybe that's too negative of a term, but like so much stuff out there, you could really be like trudging along and, yeah, you know, there's so much marketing fluff. There's a lot of greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to, especially if this is not your full-time job, it's really hard to cut through that. And so making sure I can, again, send those like, if you're going to read five things or just read five headlines on PropTech this month, here's what they should be and know that they're going to actually be relevant to them, um, I think is, is an important part of the role. And then also hiring people that know startups. Um, I think okay. that's, that's understated. Uh, and not just like a great IT team, although that's obviously really important and probably the first step. Um, But hiring people that come from either the venture, the startup or tech world in more casual ways, I just, uh, again, increases the number of people who can speak that language and bring those concepts more organically to people who just have no idea um, and are just really unfamiliar with that world. Often like the barrier between two people that may be talking past each other. And I see this a lot with sales pitches um, from like business development folks at startups to my real estate colleagues, Mm -hmm. is that like lack of understanding of the other's day-to-day job and not using terms that resonate. And like my real estate colleagues don't have that capacity in their day to like go and learn that and naturally get exposure to that. So by bringing people inside not not a ton, but just that capability in house, I think, is actually going to move the needle in in meaningful ways. And then, even if some folks stay for a couple years, going back out to to startup land with that inside out, you know, knowledge of how this industry works, I think, is also mutually beneficial. So I think it goes both ways.
0: Startup swamp land. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's great. So another piece of this role, and and I'm just totally projecting my thoughts onto your role. So again, you know, tell me where I'm wrong here, but split incentives seem like a huge deal, right? So you, you pick whatever use case you want for technology. There's usually some sort of split incentive in the, when you're making the business case. So can you talk about the, how much of a struggle that is, if it is a struggle and then how your role or how you sort of approach you know, smoothing those over?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's, it's more often than not present. It's not always a, a huge problem. But I think understanding where those incentives can be misaligned is really important to make the right decision. And so I'll give you an example. As I mentioned before, Everyone and their mother has a prop tech fund now. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, but a lot yeah. of people are actively investing and in building their own prop tech portfolios, including real estate firms, including our property manager partners. Often those property management teams are, or, and just you know, companies that, that we partner with to manage our properties will be a source of trusted information around how we should like what technology decisions we should be making mm. oftentimes what's being recommended is a menu of their portfolio
0: company. yeah yeah
1: and like to be fair they've done diligence they came back with you know that is a top you know vendor but they don't have the full context of what our needs are beyond you know maybe the property that we've been like they're we're partnered with them on um And they certainly wanna kind of talk their own book, so to speak. Yeah. Um, And so figuring out and identifying that that is a dynamic that exists somewhat frequently, not being totally cynical to it. So oftentimes that's still the right decision um, or the right vendor, but maybe not. So getting a second opinion that's more objective, finding ways to get objective second opinions, Serving as an internal potential second opinion um, with a different network of folks who have different portfolios and made different investment decisions in different ways, I think is really helpful. And so that's one way to mitigate, I think that risk around misaligned incentives. And then another way that, that incentive alignment or misalignment shows up is around budget decisions and how people are compensated versus, you know, performance of assets. And so oftentimes if there's not, you know, an immediate and clear ROI, you're, you're directly asking someone whose compensation is tied to the performance, like the bottom line next year, their bonus is going to be tied to what it looks like versus the year before. So making a, a new investment and, and purchasing new software technology or whatever it is, is directly linked to this person's performance so that kind of goes back to making sure innovation and technology decisions are reflected and cascaded across you know compensation is a really important incentive aligner Mm -hmm. Um, and actually for the first time i credit jacinda with this a lot she has been working on an initiative to get innovation and sustainability goals cascaded across our entire organization so now part of our annual review process a direct input is how, like, how did you further our innovation and technology goals, and how did you further our sustainability goals? Um, so we're working on that. We're acutely aware, and I think it's a really important um, piece of the puzzle here.
0: That's fascinating. Yes, I'm a big Jacinda fan. Shout out to Jacinda. <laughs> All right, we'll put we'll put the link to Jacinda's episode in the show notes as well if so people can check out. Uh, well, Gene, this has been super fun. I'd love to close off with some, some carve-outs. I'm interested in sort of what book, movie, TV show, podcast or other link would you recommend people check out?
1: Sure. Um, can I give two?
0: You can give however many you want, yeah. All
1: right, well, I won't keep you for that much longer, but I'll give you two. So I... I'm um, on board, or I've made my first hire. So my team is growing by a hundred percent. Later this month, it's exciting times over here, new bean And so I've been reading a book called multipliers by Liz Wiseman okay. around how to get the best and support team members in the, the most effective ways and how to get the best um, out of those folks and have them champion their own initiatives and kind of, be a, a multiplier, so to speak, instead of a diminisher. And so I really recommend that book. It's been an awesome read so far. I'm like two thirds of the way through um, to anyone in any sort of leadership role who cares about building a, a really constructive culture. Uh, the second one, a little less work oriented, but actually a little bit work oriented. Um, the show severance really really mind-blowing just super interesting story and for anyone who does have some time to watch a little tv i know you've mentioned trying to cut back or cut out but that is an incredibly interesting story around work and the future of work and you know weird technology to to separate work and life and was just really a kind of a mind-blowing story
0: Cool. That's actually one of the ones I've been watching less TV, less movies lately in favor of reading a little bit more. And I have this friend that watches a lot of TV and he has been trying to get me to watch that show. And I've just been telling him like, I'll, I'll go back to the TV at some point, but I'm in a, I'm in a reading phase right now. <laughs> uh, but you. yes.
1: Well, he, when you go back, that's that's highly recommended.
0: It sounds like Severance is kind of out there. It's kind of weird as well.
1: Really out there, like okay. really unique story. Like I feel like these days, so many stories are just kind of re-inventions of existing stories. This mm-hmm. is what I've, this is creative.
0: Okay. All right. Really that, that might push me over the edge. <laughs> um, that's on Apple Plus, I think, right? For, yeah. For yeah, people yeah. that want to check it out. Cool. Um, mine is, I will share this because it's something I read a couple of months back. You were talking a lot about the VC world. If anyone did not understand you, a good book um, to go check out to sort of translate all the VC world acronyms over to our industry, uh, it's a fun exercise. And I, I found uh, Brad Feld's book, Venture Deals, to be, the I, I've read a couple now. Um, he has a, a, the book called Venture Deals, and then he's also got a course, it's a free online course. Um that you can kind of watch on your own time. Uh, I think it's also called Venture Deals, but we'll put that uh, in the show notes as well. I thought that was super helpful. If anyone didn't understand what LPs or whatever other things you uh, said during this uh, during this, meant, I, I just kind of let it go because I'm sort of in that world now, but it's, yeah, it's a steep myself. learning curve.
1: No, I, I always try to catch myself and and define um, after the fact, but I definitely LPs is one that I uh, overlooked for sure. And I'm sure there's a bunch of others. So I apologize. <laughs> no,
0: no worries. So People can LPs go it, it's it's a fun read just to understand how the you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of venture capital like we've talked about flowing into the space. It's not going away, it doesn't seem like. And so it's just helpful for all of us to at least have a basic understanding of how it works. Well, sure. thanks, Gene. I appreciate you coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And we're going to do another episode. You're going to join us for the next edition of the MA Roundup with Joe Amador. So I'm really excited about that.
1: Super excited. Thank you so much for having me. This was a ton of fun and uh, looking forward to talking again soon.
0: All right. Thanks. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry. Please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.